This is SBO Perspectives, and I am Jack Mitchell here along with the esteemed John Bricado. That's right, John Bricado. And guess what? We got to call him Papa Ricardo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, yeah. brother. Oh, Thanks, man. man. How you yeah. feeling? Any sleep? A lot less sleep than I'm used to, for sure, but it's totally worth it. You know, every, everybody says that has kids, it's unlike anything you'll ever experience, and that is absolutely the truth. So until you go through it, you have no idea, but I have to tell you, it's been absolutely amazing. So we, little little Bo Rucato was born uh, June 29th. Uh, uh, so week, we're- so Yeah, a little over a week, yeah. Yeah, at time of, at time of recording, a little over a week. So again, I do want to apologize to everybody for getting this out a little bit late, but as you can understand, I was a little bit preoccupied. Oh, yeah, <laughs> You know, you definitely, those are the duties. You can't miss that for nothing, right? So, yeah, but really, really elated again. So, for those of you listening, we have a really great lineup today. We're going through architectural designs here, as you mentioned. This would be great for those who are really planning on, on projects coming up. You know, it's just, this is the time of the year in the summer where you, you, you know, we're talk about also facilities person later in the summer, but this is where you want to get your planning in order, you know, because it's crucial. XCD is the timeline. So I'll let John get into who our guests are for today. Yeah, today we have Jim King and Phil Cedrito, both with King & Ken Architects and John Paul Piani with SEI Design Group. So they, they walk us through just what Jack was saying, just what it takes to be ahead of the game and to plan and to make sure that you have all of your ducks in a row as a school business official when it comes to architectural planning. So this episode is a little bit different. Thank you, Jack, for taking the helm. But this is an interview that Jack conducted on his own because I was in the hospital, you know, getting a little baby coming into the world. But Jack, thank you. I actually had an opportunity to be a listener for once it was it was a great interview and uh, i think everyone's really going to enjoy this so with all our architects good morning everybody sbo perspectives with our episode today we're very excited to have on two architectural firms in central new york we haven't had an architectural design firm on at all and you know to have these two perspectives especially at this point in time i think is beneficial i know john does as well and speaking of John, one of the things with this episode is that John is looking to be a proud papa, and we're very excited about that as well. He is awaiting, literally, right now as his wife is in labor and uh, expecting his first firstborn. So again, a very, very exciting moment for him. And with that, I'm going to conduct the podcast solo, but John will be on to recap with me as well. So with that, I do want to introduce the two firms. So I want to start off with SEI Design Group. We have John Paul Piani. How you doing, John? Good. I'm doing well. Good morning. Good morning. Awesome. Awesome. And then representing King King, we have Jim King and Phil Squadrito. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Jack. Great to be on. Good morning, Jack. Good morning. Awesome stuff. So it's just so interesting that, again, we're having this episode. I think one of the reasons why we wanted this episode is because we do know that with the pandemic, many things have shifted, right? As far as capital projects. I know I, I felt it, some others may have felt it as well with the cost behind it. And, and you know, we we're going to get into a little bit of that as you speak, but uh, we just know that in order to be successful, you have to have good architects. You know, that's, that's our, I would say, our, our underlying reason for really doing this episode. And uh, for folks out there, you know, one of the things to be aware of is just how your relationship falls into play, you know, when it comes to the financial advisor, when it comes to the bond council. But, you know, I guess the first thing what I want to do here is maybe for folks listening to get a sense about who you are and what you do. So I guess 
we'll start off with John Paul. You know, if you can maybe tell us a little bit about your architectural firm and how you help school districts. Sure. So SEI, we're going now into, I think, close to our 17th year of history. Nice. So, you know, all things considered, we're a very young firm in, in, in the perspective of things, but we are... We're a firm that when we started, we started with a very distinct bent towards K-12 schools, and we've stayed there. That's been our focus market sector since the day we started. We have other market sectors that we that we do work in, but by and large, we've we've focused our expertise in the K-12 market sector. And the interesting part about us is because we came together shortly ago. We brought a lot of diverse experience to the table at the ownership level and even at the employee level. We've come together with people that have come from all different aspects of, of the profession. Nice. And we kind of apply that sensibility to everything that we do. Even if it's, you know, even if it's being applied to a school, we apply these sensibilities that we brought in from, you know, college university, from you know, private office work, from any other form of architectural market sector. We've kind of melded it all together. So I happen to quite appreciate the diversity we have around here. And I kind of, I kind of am very impressed by it on a regular basis. And hopefully we can kind of impart some of that with the people we work with on your side. Very good. Thanks, John Paul. All right, Jim, Jim Phil, I guess from your perspective, could you just shed light on your firm and, and your service with school districts? Sure. Do you want to take this one? Yeah. <laughs> you want me to start? You and sure. you. You can uh, chime in for sure. I think we're on the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of how long we've been around. We're heading into our 155th year in business. Wow, that's pretty good. Uh, and so we've been at it for a little while. I think I always like to say the faces and names have changed, but the core values of the firm are the same as they were back in 1868 when we started. As far as the markets that we're in, certainly like SEI, K-12 is a huge part of what we do, mm -hmm. uh, currently serving around 70, 12 school districts across central, northern, uh, eastern, western, central New York, I'll call it central New York region. Um, I think for us, one of the things that have, has maybe two or three things, I'll let Phil add whatever he'd like to, because he's been in it almost as long as I have. But one of the things that we found along the way, and I think you know, based on your introduction, Jack, it's it's critical these days that the architects really understand what the school business is all about, and particularly the the you know the, the side of the business that you folks are in as school business officials. And in most cases, and in many of our clients, they are our primary contact in the district. And because of the uh, you know the the I'm going to say changes in the school business officials across the state with many newer folks, very good folks, but newer as far as experience coming into the, to your industry. It's important that the architects really understand your business and are able to help lead those, lead our clients through that process. You mentioned capital project and it's, you know, we're, we're one member of a team and you described some of the other members of the team that really lead and are the experts in, in that arena and take help lead you guys through that, that process. Absolutely. So I guess, you know, I get, I'll get right into it then as far as with the pandemic, I'll jump to that because it's a never ending pandemic. I mean, it does seem like things are, are different, obviously, than two years ago, but in some respects are the same. 
you know, what do you see with this pandemic? I guess the shift in designs of classroom models, right? And, and buildings, I, I, cause I, I can speak to myself in the beginning, we had some new designs for, you know, our, our media spaces, what we used to call libraries and really open, right? Real like spaces that are, but really place a value on collaborative, right? And, and having children in groups to then all of a sudden saying, hey, where are our desks? <laughs> you know, let's line them up in rows again and put up, you know, the plastic partitions and things of that nature. So I get for, for either of you, do you think, I guess, the shift now, is it coming back? Do you think this will remain temporary? Will it revert back again? Or, or will it just reshape our future thinking around such designing? I guess... I'll jump in. Um, as architects, I think we, I always try to see past the immediate situation so that I can, you know, navigate, help you guys navigate the landscape that's going to be in front of you too. You know, I, I guess the simplest term is you try to avoid trends, right? Like trendy trends. COVID is far from a trendy trend. And I think it's going to have some lasting impact. But I think we need to see past the immediate reaction, which is fairly extreme and rightfully so, mm-hmm. to the long-term, the long-term permanence that it's going to leave with us. And I think it's going to leave, one of the biggest things it's going to leave with us is the ability to react quickly and shift an environment to go from open, close, collaborative to something that more emulates the COVID protocol of isolation. Yes. The so, key word there is pivot. That's what we utilize a lot. You're right. Pivoting. Yep. I think that we find ourselves in a position right now where it's, I don't personally think it's ever really going to go back to the way it was before. That's not how evolution works. You know, we don't, we don't regress back to a previous state in, in its entirety. We, we right. evolve and we're in a position right now where we're evolving to an environment that we used to, I used to do a lot of lab spaces and the, and the key word for lab spaces was to be flexible. You know, design a space that doesn't, you know, carve such a deep niche in any one in one any one configuration and allows mm-hmm. the occupants to adapt the space. And I think that that's where we need to go. And to me, that means always maintaining a degree of openness and a degree of flexibility with the hard part of the construct, so that you can react and adjust and make it work for the immediate circumstances. Okay, great. <clears throat> Anything you guys want to add or no? I can jump in, Phil, unless you've got... No, go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I think just following up on your question and, and maybe taking off a little farther on, on John's points, which are good ones. You know, I think in the K-12 market, one of the things I always think about is we're spending public money. And, you know, it's our taxes, it's your taxes, it's your community's mm-hmm. tax, it's your constituents' taxes coming back to the districts. Most districts are getting some form of state aid to help in the capital construction renovation project uh, side of the project. And so I think we, we do need to be flexible and create spaces that can pivot easily. Obviously you did some pivoting over the last two years that maybe was uncomfortable at times, but I think if you look at some of where education in K-12 is going, maybe nationwide, worldwide, in order to better prepare students for success in their futures when they leave, your district, they re- the, the, the educational delivery models need to you know, prepare those students for what they're going to face, whether it's in higher ed, 
mm -hmm. workforce in life. And that really is a scenario where they are working together, oftentimes in teams, solving problems, thinking creatively. And I think that's, you know, I see that as a, you know, that's a, that's a trend that hopefully is not a, you know, a trend as John described it, that's, you know, short term. I think it, you know, if, if the U.S. really wants to be a world leader in, in, in all things mm -hmm. going forward, I think we have to continue to design those educational spaces to reflect the skills that the students are going to need to be successful. Good point. Yeah, yeah to be point. successful in life and career life and their future. Yeah, I would agree. I think that that's one of the reasons why that those trends did come and evolve, right? Because studies had shown you know, that the learning aspect of it, what used to be, whether it be rote memory and just, you know, being a dictation, the learning facet was increased when it was done more collaboratively. So I think that's really what would drove the industry. But speaking of industry, you know, one of the things too, that we thought of when we wanted to have you on is just, just how the shift has been when it comes to this supply chain. And this is almost a topic we have on pretty much every podcast, just how the rising cost and inflation is really affecting the industry. So I guess if either you could speak to, you know, what's that doing to the architectural space? Who wants to take this one? I, I can start, I guess. So I, I think it's the same thing you see at the gas pump, right? We're, we're seeing that, you know, the costs are, you know, not, not stable yet, but from a construction standpoint, the, the lead times and, and it's just taking a little bit. I think at first it was a little rough mm -hmm. trying to figure out where things were going to head. But now, you know, that we, you know, into it a little bit and seeing, you know, supply chains starting to reopen and doing that planning piece around that on the construction side, you know, we, we can figure out how to get the construction piece done. The, the, the still the challenge and, you know, building contingencies and putting alternates into projects to make sure that you get the essentials out of the project is where we are on the critical on the design yeah. side. So, so that you can get the core stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully this, I'm assuming that it's going to have to turn around at some point, you can, you can bring some of those other things back into projects. Well, let me ask this, and I guess as a spinoff, before I get to John Paul, his, his perspective for Jim, being that you've been around 155 years, right? I mean, who, who, I mean, who me can... yeah. <laughs> Actually, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, I discovered yeah. the founder yeah. of youth in, not, in 1868. Not... So, yeah. <laughs> you're right. You, but I wasn't to say. Almost. Just... Well, well I, I, you're right. I guess almost. No, no. <laughs> that, I, I, I don't play. I know I'm playing. This is good. Well, I could just say that, you know, people always sometimes start trying to talk about the 80s, right? And how inflation started going out of control then, right? Mm -hmm. You remember the gas lines, late 70s, and then the 80s, things is blowing up. If if you had some experience around that time, could you speak to, are there any similarities then to now? And maybe do you see, because the reason why I'm asking this kind of a question to the side is what Phil just brought out. His point was that we hope that it'll end soon, right? That is is, is temporary. It's happening right now. We're getting kind of used to it, but eventually it should end. And I guess with any trends, history may repeat itself. Any things that happened back then, it kind of maybe signaled that, hey, okay. And it's not the same, but maybe what you've experienced, what can you speak to with that? I think, you know, Phil touched on having appropriate 
design contingencies, construction contingencies, you know, going all the way back to when the budgets are put together pre-referendum that the local community is going to come together and vote on a, pro- on a capital project. It is important, obviously, to look into the crystal ball. Mm-hmm. The ball is never clear. So one of the things that we've always tried to do is be a bit conservative in terms of those contingencies and escalation factors that we're looking at as we put a budget together pre-referendum. We try to look at those budgets anticipating a design and uh, SED review and construction schedule and project out to a midpoint of construction with escalation and contingency. And to, to, in direct response to your question, looking back in my time, I think we've been caught, and I'll put that in quotes, Mm-hmm. Only a couple of times where, and we're looking at a, a couple of projects to Phil's point right now, where the budgets were put together based on where the, where the timing was. They were put together pre-pandemic. They were voted on pre-pandemic mm-hmm. with what we thought was a conservative inflation factor of, say, 5% compounded to midpoint. And now all of a sudden, you know, the bids are... We're going out to construction. We've had estimating done, and we're realizing that inflation could be eight to ten percent, uh, and not knowing how far out in front of us. Yeah, I think yes, we have. But again, now we know that, and you know, that's one or two projects where we're that Phil is discussing is uh, more critical than it is on a typical project where we've, you know, guesstimated or or budgeted mm-hmm. with a with a safe contingency and escalation factor. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where everybody that's involved, the team that's involved in the project, including the district folks, obviously understand it because they're seeing it themselves in their sure. filling their cars or buying the groceries or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. They understand. And then it's a conversation around, okay, what are the what did we what did we all agree on were the critical facets that yes. this project needs to get done. And those are the ones we're going to figure out how to get done as yep. a team. That's exactly what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. John Paul, you have anything to add there or no? Yeah, I guess a couple, just a couple of points that I think we experienced. I think everybody's sure. experienced them. My first impression when this started happening was that people, people like everybody, they, we, we were in denial about the fact that things were spiking as high as they were. You know, mm-hmm. it was... I found myself making presentations to like people in your capacity and your boards of education. And, you know, they were just, just beside themselves to try to wrap their head around the fact that something costs as much as it costs. How could that be? It's never been like that. Mm-hmm. And the interesting part to me is that with the, the amount of um, communication in the world right now, reaction is fast. Reaction is extreme. Like you go back to, you talked about the eighties, there may have been the same factors at play, but the one sort of incendiary aspect of it was that there was no immediate launch to a reaction. There was always this dulled effect because the world was not, we were not on the the nary edge of communication like we are right now. And right now it hits immediately. And to Jim's point, we plan these things with you guys two years in advance. You know, talk about, the most difficult of scenarios. What's going to happen two years from now? Anybody in their right mind to predict COVID and try to navigate a COVID-like pandemic situation with a with a budget for a project would have been absolutely clairvoyant. You know, yep. so 
the world that we're in right now, we're having to apply safety factors that react to, in a very immediate way, what we just have been through. Mm-hmm. And I think that the biggest part of it is people need to understand more than ever that when we talk about project scope, there are a lot of things that are possible, but not definite. And the list of, call them alternates, the list of potential scope, but scope that we would pull back on because the priority is not quite what it is for the essential scope. Mm-hmm. It's much more elaborate now than it's ever been. And people need to understand that when they wrap their head around what they're going to get, it's not going to potentially be all of what they hear. And that's a little bit of a difficult territory for people to navigate in their heads. No, I think you're right. And I think that really speaks to what needs to be done. Expectations. You alluded to it, Jim and Phil also. If you set those expectations, it's better. And I, I think, you know, we can agree folks can see going to the gas pump, you know, like you said, and, and just that right away reaction, that variable, you're right. We didn't have any 80s. So we have to be cognizant and aware that, you know what, we can put these contingencies in, we can have these alternates, but let's focus on the core and have the expectation that, hey, maybe not everything will get done now. And I think that that's key, you know, for, for folks to understand. So, and I guess piggybacking off of that, you mentioned SED, Jim, when it comes to interactions with SED, because SED, I know they went, they were really working in a different capacity, right? At the height of the pandemic, they weren't really in, and they had to also pick up more hiring. What do you see the interactions now with SED and I guess other third parties associated, whether they be construction managers and such, when it comes to these capital projects? Where do you see the headed in the future? And it, could there be any room for, let's say, improvement or ways to help streamline this process? Sure. I think, you know, I, we've, we've all been dealing with the state education department in, in one way or another. And I think, you know, through the course of the pandemic and either and even before, before some of the old guards, so to speak, and I, I'll call them that in, in quotes, you know, retired or moved on to other things, it was it was relatively easy to call them up on the phone and have a conversation or go to Albany and visit, go to their offices and visit. Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, sit across the table and literally have a conversation and walk out of the meeting knowing the direct, helping the districts really come out of there with a direction. And they knew, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, right up front, you know, what, approximately what state building aid they were going to receive for the project, even at a pre, you know, pre-preliminary or preliminary pre-referendum, the conceptual design level. That's been, that's been a challenge these days, and it's not a fault of state ed. It's just that the, the, you know, their, their staff has been sort of, you know, reduced for whatever reason, or people have left and, and they're trying to replace them with other good people, and it's and it's been a struggle. It's a struggle in the in all industries to find find people these days. So Certainly. I think we, we I actually it was interesting. You asked that question. I had a I had a conversation recently with another architectural firm in in the Buffalo area. We were talking about you know would it make sense for a group of design professionals to really sit down with the high, the leadership at state ed on the capital construction side and have a conversation about, hey, how can we work better together? You know, I think the third third party review opportunity or option 
is is one of those things that came out of a past conversation with 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 the previous leadership at SED because they were taking it was difficult to get projects you know through in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. And again, how do you anticipate that? That's a contingency factor if it yes. takes a long time to get through SED. So that that's an example of of, a, of I think an improvement that has made a difference and came out of some conversation. So I think if we could sit down and really and visit that, that, yeah. And obviously, we would include folks, like the business officials and superintendents, mm-hmm. because they're part of that. You know, we're all a team trying to get things sure. done and accomplished. Yeah for the betterment of the students in the state. Good stuff. Good stuff. John Paul, what are your sentiments there? You think that there can be any improvements? I mean, I think, Jim, you alluded to something really big there. Have another conversation. I, and you know, John and I, we are on the board of ASB New York. We have advocacy and we do liaison with SED. So this is something to maybe bring up as well coming out of this podcast, right? But I guess just jump do because I know... You guys in Central New York, and I guess I, that's so funny you mentioned about going to Albany and just sitting down. I, I wish <laughs> there were days like that, right? To have that clarity. But what do you think, John Paul, can be done in that respect? Yeah, I think that the sentiment of getting more direct interaction with SED is spot on. I, I know that I remember those days where I could pick up the phone and I could speak to a reviewer, I could speak to Carl Thurnow about yeah. any aspect of what I was facing, because it's not like this stuff is, is black and white. Just like any regulation that we try to conform to, there are shades of gray abound with what we're trying to deal with on a regular basis. And tell me that all of your buildings are the exact same buildings. Tell me that all of your all of your budgets are the exact same budgets. All of your prognoses for what you need to do next with your facilities are the exact same prognoses. They're not. Every school district is unique in, in their own way. And it's important. Actually, it's imperative, I think, that you can, you can, along with us, pick up the phone sometimes and ask a well-thought-out, legitimate question. And I think at a certain point, there was a time where they might have felt like if they answered the phone they were going to get themselves into a rabbit hole with the conversation and they weren't going to be able to necessarily lean back on a general protocol for how to do things, but just to bounce things off and get and head in a direction that's fruitful instead of heading in a direction that is not fruitful and finding out way too late that there's an issue with something is important. So I think in terms of the advocacy group that you're talking about, I think design professionals, school, school, school business officials, superintendents, I think a collaborative group of those individuals going to SCD and talking about a way to go about conducting business moving on. I think, for example, right now, Sarah Madison is very aware of this. I've had several good conversations with her, but she also knows her limitations in the conversations that she's only able to go so far with any given conversation. But I think her mindset um, right now is to sort of enhance this type of interaction. Yes. So I think if you're going to, if, if, if you were to use the term get while the getting is good, the getting is good right now. Okay. And put a group together to do that right now, I think would be, would be very timely. Because I think it's, it's the only mm-hmm. way to go out this. There Makes is, sense. Yes. Perfection doesn't work otherwise. It just, it does not work without that collaboration. You are, you are spot on there, John Paul. So as we get close to wrapping up, this is this great podcast. It's so informative. I, I mean, 
I always tell John, I learned as you speak, and it's just great to, to get this firsthand for our listeners. You know, what I would just just be curious for, for you guys being in Central New York, I guess, if any, is there a difference in what they require out there versus around the state? I mean, are you finding, because I, I know you spoke to earlier too, Jim, about speaking to um, Buffalo, to architectural there. Are you finding any regional differences or similarities? Because I'm not sure how far you span as who you work with districts solely in that area or even some downstate. But I'm I'm curious as to that. Let me I'll grab this one on this first. I think that working with schools, I think the biggest differences I find, there's a there's a cat there, there's a hierarchy of sort here. A city school district is the first tier. They have unique, they have unique needs, they have unique situations that need to be dealt with. I found not only the conditions of buildings, but the disposition of people in those school districts to be at a at a in a in a category that is unique, and it not in a bad or good way, but it's they deal with things that are slightly different than a suburban or a rural school district would deal with. Beyond that, I think the essential construct of any school district is the same. You guys all have the same basic framework, and you deal with the immediate demographics in the area whether they be political demographics or demographics, you deal with them. And in terms of central New York, there's probably a little bit of a distinction. If I were to compare, we do work all across the state. The only thing we don't do is the city and Long Island. We do, we, we have work in every, every one of the other regions. And mm-hmm. in that regard, I can tell you that North Country School District behaves very similarly to a, a central New York school district in some capacity and to a school district that is probably between Rochester and Buffalo off the throughway. They all behave similarly in that way, but mm-hmm. they bring their own unique, their unique perspectives. Okay. Great, Jim, Phil, anything to add there? <clears throat> no, I think John hit it. The, it's really, I, I see the, the differences and they're not big, but it's really the community that the, the school district happens to reside in rural, suburban, city. But it really, I think part of what we also try to do is, is really get to know the community and know the people. And then that, that helps the team work together to you know, make sure that those concerns that the community has around their schools, whatever it might be, are addressed, okay. if they can be addressed in a capital construction project. So it really comes down to that for us. Mm-hmm. And we, we like, like SEI, work in those same areas across the state, east to west, north to south. We stay okay. out of the city, you know, Westchester, north. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, you know, we have a, a variety of clients from sure. very small to city school district. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that perspective. I think it's important for our listeners to even hear that, you know, many may work in different districts and not understand the fundamental aspect, right? You said the differences between the city and suburban and rural. So that's great. So in, in wrapping up here, we always, as a parting question, ask for any of our guests, what, I guess, from your perspective, right? The piece of advice you can give an SBL listing. And I guess maybe what's the most important facet that SBO should be looking with an architect and why? I mean, I think that that would probably lend to anybody listening just what makes sense for them in their district and, and who they should work with. So I guess either or could start, but we can end on that note. Yeah, I can, I can jump in. I think it's about hiring a 
team, obviously architects, as you mentioned, at the front end, Jack, is an important member of that team. Mm-hmm. But hiring a team that you really can create a long-term relationship with, really get to know those the, the people personally as they the advice that they're giving you, listen to the advice that they're giving, and we're part of what architects and designers to really assist the school business officials and the communities to better their facilities for their kids. Really hire hire a firm that you can that you can create a long-term relationship that you can trust mm-hmm. to be providing you good advice. Somebody that obviously has experience in the business, understands your business and can really help your Certainly. community do the okay. best for your district. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for that, Jim. And John Paul, to wrap up. <clears throat> yeah, no, I think that uh, I think that between Jim and Phil, the way they approach their their work with with districts, clients, and the way we approach our work with clients is virtually identical in the sense that the most important thing for us is to have a relationship with the people we're working with, to know them, to know what their daily priorities are, because the spontaneous phone call is going to come. I'm going to be sitting at my desk. My cell phone's going to ring. And all of a sudden, the situation is going to be in my world and in your world that wasn't there 10 minutes earlier. And this, the more fluid that relationship is, the more trusted that relationship is, we try, to, we try to make sure that we are there for people no matter what they need in terms of their buildings, in terms of you know, speculating on things. And without a relationship that's like that, if you can't count on me being on the other end of the phone and knowing my sensibilities and me knowing yours, we don't really have a lot going on in terms of our relationship that way. It's imperative that you guys pick architects that you feel a connection with that way. And I don't, I know that I think that Jim and Phil run their, their business the same way. You're picking us and then we're helping to develop a team that's working with you. We're not an all service firm. We're an mm-hmm. architectural firm. Yes. And we need to know you so that we can bring to bear our part of the equation in a specifically catered way. That helps develop what is a relationship, hopefully, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's what's the most important thing for us. It sounds kind of, I suppose it sounds corny in a way, but it's essential. No, it, it is not. I don't know if you, you gentlemen have ever caught our podcast, but Everything is predicated on relationships with the SBO and the school district. And what you're saying is, is spot on. You know, I, I mean, if you don't have that, you know, you have to have that trust factor, right? Because, you know, again, it was mentioned before, taxpayer dollars, right? This is not just our own money, a corporation. This is money we're fiduciaries as, as SBOs to make certain that we provide the best service, the most efficient, economical, you name it. And a relationship is part of that building that trust so that you can gain a sense of, okay, this is going to be a partner that I can utilize and lean on when it comes to, you know, like maybe capital projects, just any old uh, type of work facility. So gentlemen, this has been awesome. I mean, I can tell you that I do miss John. You can tell my voice, right? Yeah, I'm a little bit, but I'm excited for him as well. But I know that you, you guys, I really presented what we wanted and answering the questions and having this conversation. So on behalf of John and myself and SPO Perspectives, we thank you both for coming on. Jim and Phil, thank you. King King and, and John Paul from SCI. So with that, I'm signing off. 
thanks again for tuning in this week. Thanks again to Jim, Phil, and John Paul. I thought that was just a, a wonderful opportunity to really hear three different perspectives of architectural expertise. And Jack, thanks for, again, taking the helm and conducting that interview without me this week. Yeah, no, listen, we're, we're, we're like one here. So when it comes down to it, you know, you had that's utmost priority, you know, except that we really couldn't reschedule. It was like sort of last minute thing, right? And right, can't, right. It's perfect, right? When it comes. <laughs> so it, it, it's all good. Let's just know. And you know what? I think like what you said, what you gleaned from it, I also got something from it too. I realized how, you know, when I'm asked certain questions, the different breaks in it, when we do it, you know, tandem back and forth. But then I, I realized that how, you know, it's important and crucial that that follow up right after. So I think that right, I, I right. gathered that from when we do our interviews together. And, you know, this is a one off situation here, but it was a really good episode. I learned I probably couldn't even learn as much because, again, I didn't have the time to take the break. Right. 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 I, I'm, I'm asking the question. Yeah, it's a follow up question. Yeah. But those guys were excellent. And I know they appreciate it. And it, it, for our listeners, it was really good. I think, John, it, we didn't talk about this. I know you, you kind of overheard it. Just having Central New York, right? A different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you That's and I were downstate. And, you know, we, we have ties all over the state. But we've really tried to get a Central New York presence on the podcast. And I think we were able to do that with this episode. And I hope we can continue to do that. And even North For Country, sure. just making sure that we're able to, you know, get everybody represented on this podcast. Yeah, this was excellent. So again, kudos to both King King and SEI. And for the future, we're looking forward to a great summer. We got our nice boat coming up. Yep. So, so you know, for those out there listening, we got more in schedule. We got ads with a national that's coming out now too. We're going to be doing more stuff broad on the broad scale across you know the states. So um, again, we appreciate you as listeners the most. We hope you're getting everything you can out of this and continue listening. See you next week.